so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and some big news, some sad news and some good news um, coming out over this week and over the this last weekend. We had Upset City in New South Wales over the weekend. We had a brand new champion, though maybe not that new uh, compared to previous years in New Zealand. And now we have some breaking news which may threaten the end of Super Rugby Artiloa as well. I'm joined today with Toby. Unfortunately, Leo won't be able to join us. He was just too upset with that Reds performance over the weekend. Yeah, mate. Look at the Tars are back. What can I say? Um, my my faith has been restored in the franchise. And, <laughs> I mean, going up 43-0 or something like that, I think, was in the first half. 38-38-0 um, in the first half. 38-0. It's pretty good. I mean, some entertaining football as well. And not the results we're expecting, so it's... Keeping things interesting in the in the Australian competition, at least. We'll start in New Zealand though. Um, Super Rugby Aotearoa was the second to last round, um, but we do have a champion crowned. Uh, the Crusaders in what was a really thrilling, entertaining game in Christchurch. The Highlanders absolutely threw everything at them, and they looked like they had a sniff at a victory there um, through the valiant efforts of Shannon Frizzell being an absolute powerhouse. Aaron Smith. Um, and some big hits from some of their centres as well. Um, but some ill-discipline and just some Crusaders class meant the Crusaders took this one 32-22. That seals it. They get the trophy. They, they can't be caught now. Um, and it sort of ruins the sort of last round showdown with the Blues that we were, sort of were hoping. In the other game, the Hurricanes took down the Chiefs 31-18. to and it was sort of more as expected. Uh, Chiefs not really showing too much. Um, they're putting up a bit of a fight, but in the end, I think just the wind's out of their sails at this stage. Um, and now with some COVID reappearing in Auckland, um, the city's gone into lockdown, and it's up in the air whether we'll even get to see this game over the over the w- next weekend. Yeah, which is sad. I mean, obviously the, the Crusaders have locked down the title now, but would have been pretty nice to actually see that that game up in Eden Park and and actually see whether the Blues could um could get one over the Crusaders even though you know the Crusaders might have been resting some players it yeah. still would have been a great spectacle so I mean our our thoughts go out to, to the people in Auckland and and New Zealand generally in lockdown and um yeah let's hope that that gets resolved quickly absolutely that's the hope because we do want to see. Um, some games this weekend, and probably more importantly, we want to see this North Island versus South Island that's um, down for a couple of weeks in Auckland as well as a bit of a preliminary game before the final All Black squad is announced. And I think there's some real selection um, debates that will come up over the next week or two, uh, which we might have a bit of a closer delve into uh, next week after we don't have any sort of more Super Rugby Aotearoa um, to talk about. But let's talk about Australia, 
upset City on the weekend. As I said before, um, we started off at Leichhardt Oval on Friday night. We had a revamped Melbourne Rebels team. Uh, we had a couple of new faces in there. Obviously, Izzy Nicerani remained at eight. We had Brad Wilkin getting his first start for the Rebels at number seven, overcoming lots of injury. We had Andrew Deegan named at 10, and Tamua shifted out to 12. And we had Hodge playing 15 um, with the lingering injury to DHP um, still hampering him a little bit. But the Rebels, they just... I don't know whether they just wanted it more. They just came out harder. Um, They just absolutely quelched any sort of counter-attack that the Brumbies could do. And and it just didn't seem like the Brumbies had their, their usual sort of attitude and enthusiasm in this game. Whether it was partly because of the wet and the rain, um, Andrew Deegan at 10 seems like he put on a bit of a masterful kicking performance, just kept popping that ball behind them, kept putting them under pressure in their own 22. Um, it looks like they may have found a formula that works quite well with Deegan at 10 and Tamura at 12. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that change because <clears throat> obviously Billy Meeks was on the bench, um, and that was one guy that we've seen at. Well, for, for so many games in a row. I mean, he's been very consistent over there since he arrived at the Rebels playing in that position. Um, so now if they're looking to keep Tamua there, which we honestly think that's his better position, um, that probably changes things a little bit for the Wallabies if, if we're looking at him selecting him in the back line. Um, so I wonder whether it's a preference for him or whether it's a preference for Dave Vessels. Um but now you are relying on Deegan and Tamil combining well every week because otherwise it's probably it's going to force Vessels' hand to put Tamil back at 10. Um, we know the Rebels don't have, you know, they have plenty of depth there in the back line in the centres. They're often trying to fit too many guys into that back line and often shuffling things around. So even when DHP comes back, Hodge is going to probably have to move back to, to one of the wings or the centre position. Um but at the moment, look, with a win like that against the Brumbies, which is, you know, that's the scalp you want. That's that's the real money game. And they came away with that here, even playing in Sydney, you know, as neutral ground, really, yeah. um, for both teams. Um, and look, they just outplayed them. And look, we can blame the weather, um, but the Rebels really just played with better, like a lot more poise. Um, maybe the Brumbies underrated them a little bit coming into this. Yeah, I think the Brumbies definitely seemed like they weren't switched on to start this game, and the Rebels definitely were. They wanted it a little bit more. Um, and a lot of their forwards sort of stepped up again. Like, we talk about um, being disappointed in people like Jordan Ulysses, Matt Phillip this year so far. Um, these guys put on a big performance. Cameron Orr in the number one jersey for them uh, put two weeks in a row of some really strong games, um, which has helped in the big man Trevor Hosea. Um, the young sort of number five lock who's um, continuing to make some impact there. And, I mean, we were talking about our Wallabies teams last week. We were talking about the Brumbies and the Reds. Um, This is something that's going to throw a little bit of a spanner in the works in terms of selection drama. Because if they put together another... Like, I don't want to overreact. Like, this is one week. We may may see that this is just a one-hit wonder and we see some regression next week. But if they can put together some performances like this, it really starts to ask some questions and it puts a few question marks um, in Dave Rennie's mind when he's looking at his Wallabies. And I think the thing is, if I look back at the Rebels, you know, condensed season under this restart, um, now they've gone from 
having a draw against the Reds. So they, they lose first game out of the blocks against the Brumbies at Canberra by eight points. That's look that's pretty reasonable if you go back down to Canberra. Um, there would have been a few cobwebs there for all the teams. Then they go and they draw with the Reds. Fair enough. They have a, a bye week, and now they've won three in a row. Um, and pretty decent wins in all those three. So when you look at their season, they're in second place on the ladder. They've only had one loss against the, the best team we would think in the competition. Yep. Um, a draw with a feisty Reds team, and then three pretty dominant wins in a row. So I think just overall I probably undervalued the, the quality of the Rebels. And, um, you know, if they win a couple more, you, know, you never know. They could push the Brumbies for this title, which would be very unexpected. Um, I expect the Waratahs maybe to regress more to the mean. Um, this performance is probably a bit of an outlier for them, but I mean, all credit to them. They they scored points, and um, mm-hmm. you know they they really took the Reds out of their own um, element. So I think Rebels, I can see them probably continuing this form, um, which again, like you said, it really does allow certain guys in that that team to to push put their hand up for the Wallabies. Um, there's always going to be guys like Hodge, you know, within the squad. Tamui, you think, would have been in there. But then you've probably got to look a little bit closer at some of these emerging guys that might actually have stronger cases just based on the, the overall team's performance. Obviously, with that win, like you say, they, they move up into second place. And we know that the playoff system here is just have to be in the top three to give yourself a shot at the title. Um, and they're starting to look like they're going to be um, biting on the Brumbies' heels soon enough. And the Reds slip down. They don't even slip to third with because of this dominant performance from the Waratahs. Uh, they actually slip to fourth on points difference. Um, both the Waratahs and Reds on eleven points with both two wins each. And I have to say, like you highlighted it before, this this first half from the Waratahs I said it before we started recording. One of the most outstanding performances I've seen them put together, uh, certainly in the last five years, I think. And a lot of people stepping up, a lot of people that have had a couple of quiet weeks. We talked about Maddox having lost a bit of confidence. He certainly looked like he got it back from the opening sort of touch, um, returning a a kick and breaking a few tackles. And his combination with James Ram, who the Waratahs just uh, announced um, they've they've signed him for another two years um, already, uh, probably just off the back of... He's had some good performances, but this was... Uh, very much outstanding performance. He absolutely made Jock Campbell have a nightmare out there on the wing and he would have been probably having flashbacks this week of not wanting to see James Graham running and him, burning him on the outside and um, putting up the little chip and chases as well. Um, the backs there combining well and probably we have to shout out to Flash Gordon, Jakey Boy. Um, we pretty much ruled him out of this Wallabies sort of debate, um, but... He comes out, he has a first-half hat-trick, shows some real pace, some real attacking sort of prowess, and heads up play, taking a quick tap to get over for his second. And suddenly, his name's going to have to be back up there um, again for thinking about what is what are the three halfbacks you're going to select for higher honours. Yeah, definitely. And I think his combination with Will Harrison was very important as well. I think Jake has great service. And we know that he has that attacking game. He doesn't always choose to use it. And that's probably one of my criticisms that, you know, when he's just there and he's just providing service to the 5'8", and he's not sniping, he's not really 
using that speed that he has, that's when he doesn't look as potent as a halfback. But you can see as soon as the game kind of calls for it, um, he's a great supporting player as well, but he can just make something out of nothing, often like some of the Kiwi halfbacks. So yeah, I think his name has to be at least in the top four best scrum halves in Australia. Um, I've thought that for a while. Um, but it's it's tough when you've got Nick White, Joe Powell. Um, you've got, obviously, Tate McDermott come off well, the ball a little bit in Queensland, um, but that may be just because he's been, you know, left on the bench for a few games and, you know, hasn't had as much time on the field as we'd like. That's what I was going to bring up. Um, you're talking about sort of the great service here um, from Jake, and it was definitely a contrast to what Malua was doing on the red side, and it's not really clear why... Tate's been moved to the bench um, in favour of him. I think Tate's mm. um, passing and services is probably um, superior to his, and his attacking game, I think, is better as well. Um, whether it's just off the back of sort of the performance that the Reds put on down at GIO and they came so close to beating the Brumbies that they thought they had to give Malua another go. But there was definitely a change when Tate came on um, he provides a certain level of energy as a sort of spring, and I think, I think O'Connor was happy to see him back on the field, um, giving him some service because O'Connor was trying his all to do something to make something happen in this game, um, but he just couldn't couldn't quite get it going. Yeah, well, Tate started the first three games of Super Rugby. The Reds came away with two wins and a draw, and then he was benched um, after that, I think, and they've had two losses. So, you know, I, I do think he's an integral part of that back line. He, he really controls the play well alongside O'Connor. Um, his tactical kicking's really good, and I don't see any reason for him not starting. I think Thorny will go back to him. I think he's, even though he's so young, he's a real leader within that team. Yeah. Um, and I think there's good reason why, you know, anyone out there watching rugby has been thinking, well, he could be the starting number nine for the Wallabies going forward. Whether it's this year or not, I'm not quite sure. I feel like maybe Nick White has still got a pretty good shot at taking that starting berth, even though we haven't seen him really for the Brumbies yet. So it's um it's going to be difficult for the selectors. If you go with experience, you go with Nick White. Otherwise, you move on, I think, to some of the younger guys coming through. Um, but Jake obviously did it, did himself no harm with this performance. And I'm assuming that he continues to get the start over Mitch Short. I think we'll see some more interesting play from him. So, Tars, look, again, it's it's interesting to, to look at um, who really stood up in this game. I think there's probably a lot of names to mention. Um, but someone like Jack Dempsey, I think, put his hand up. Mm-hmm. Hoops had a great game. Will yeah. Harrison looked pretty good at 10. Um, and I think it's a, it's a time for him to really be stepping up if... Um, if he wants to kind of contest that that 10 jersey for the Wallabies because we see that Noah's out for an extended period. So there's less competition there at the moment. Tamua's moved to 12. So, like, it might just come down to John O'Lance, um, James O'Connor and Will Harrison at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, he, he's in with a shot as well. And, and Carmichael Hunt playing for a contract. Yeah. Talking about Harrison, I think, like, even just his goal-kicking has just shown... Um, how good he's sort of going. He's he's so consistent off the boot at the moment. And whether that's just because he's just playing with a bit more confidence as well, because we saw back at the very start of Super Rugby this year, he had a few issues with that. That just adds another string to his bow, and he's now combining that with some good attacking play 
And I think that is, though, coming off the back of some good sort of... The, the New South Wales forwards are stepping up and we're getting some front football and that's helping Jake Gordon, that's helping Will Harrison um, to get these guys a bit more involved, get them on the front foot to unleash some of their outside backs. But I think you're absolutely right. Dempsey's stepping up again. Hooper, it's really funny that is a, it's a very similar story in Australia and New Zealand with our number sevens. We have Sam Kane named captain, and then there's question marks over whether he should be picked at seven. Hooper's obviously the incumbent captain, but new coach, and some more questions about whether he's the best man for the job. But they do put up performances every so often like this, which which really sort of put to bed those sort of naysayers and those people of Leo's ilk that question whether he should be in the team because he he does things like this and even in this game there were parts where he was a bit frustrated with a decision and then comes back sort of the two rucks later and and forces a penalty gets that pilfering that we don't see from him too often um and you see the passion at which uh, sometimes he plays so I think it's just it is really nice to see just overall for Australian rugby to see this sort of um rivalries and the ferocity and the passion of which some of these teams are going out against um, teams that we all sort of thought and all the commentary team even everyone I talked to was sort of saying that we were expecting a bit of a runaway win for the Reds and then suddenly you have your the teams that we thought that were the two best in the competition competition the Reds and the Brumbies suffer some pretty big defeats on the weekend yeah and it probably speaks to the the level of parity we have within the competition and also just you know if you do switch off at all like the quality is still there with their teams they can punish you um i think it's very easy to get down on teams like the waratahs when they're not winning consistently um and that probably speaks to the you know we're pretty critical supporters in in new south wales and if we don't have a winning team we get we get on their case pretty quickly yeah um but you can see you know, a few more performances like this, um, the Waratahs will be pretty happy with the way that they've gone this season, I think, particularly when they're rebuilding. I think the most important thing, um, particularly with young guys coming through, I think there's there's obviously going to be that level of time you need to give them for combinations to form. But overall, for the Wallabies, I think there's it's such an interesting year for selections because almost no one is guaranteed a spot in that Wallabies 15, I yeah. think. We could probably say that the front row is relatively well set and kind of picks itself. But below that, I think, you know, the back row, so much competition, locks are a bit thin. So you've got opportunities for some of the younger guys coming through. And then the back line, like, what do you do with it? There's, there's so much intrigue around those selections and it's such an open field at the mm. moment. Um, I think that, that kind of builds and creates more intrigue around, you know, for supporters to actually understand who, which way they're going to go with things. Are they going to pick more of a veteran team with guys such as, you know, Hodge, Tamua, Nick White, DHP? Mm. Do you kind of go for that more veteran lineup in the, in the beginning and then kind of blood guys gradually? Or do you really shake things up and, and select a lot of guys that haven't ever had a Wallaby cap before? And it's going to be very interesting, as you say, because... The chat is at the moment that there will be a Bledisloe series. It's most likely to be held completely in New Zealand at this stage. Obviously, that may change with sort of current climate and current conditions. Um, but the idea was a Bledisloe series and potentially the rugby championship to be hosted in New Zealand. 
And so you're going to have a lot of very hard-fought games, games away from home. Um, and it's whether... Is this something that Dave Rennie's going to want to protect his young guys from having to go out to a hostile environment in New Zealand to play the All Blacks um, multiple times? Or is this sort of a way to get some new blood, some people that aren't afraid um, of that team and can really show what they can do? So there's two two pathways sort of that stand before Dave Rennie, and it'll be interesting to see which way he does go. Um mm. Unfortunate that we didn't see Jordan Patea out in this game, um, unfortunately, and we do send our condolences because he, he lost his father uh, midway through last week, who was one of his biggest supporters, and so didn't make the trip down to New South Wales with the team. Um, I dare say we probably will see him um, this weekend when the Reds are back at home hosting the Rebels at Suncourt. Yeah, that's a huge loss for him. And obviously he's battled a few things this year and that probably doesn't come at the best time either. So, you know, thoughts and prayers for him. But um, we just want to see, I guess, as many of these young guys out in the field as we can. Um, You see, you know, even like, I mean, there was a bit of um, media around this during the week, but the new prop for the Reds coming off the bench, I think he ended up getting a yellow card, but Zane Nongor. Look, there's... I think there's there's a lot of excitement around some of the young talent, and I think Rennie really appreciates that. Um, and I don't think he would have taken the job if he didn't see that pathway of young talent coming through. Um, I think it's just really a time for for smart selections, really, and having a balance in the team. I'm not probably all for for going for just young young players um, with no experience. I think you do have to balance that a little bit, particularly as you say, if it's in New Zealand. Mm. Um, because you don't want people starting off their careers, you know, losing games by 50 points to the All Blacks consistently. Yeah. Um, this is a very interesting year. I think, you know, Super Rugby Aotearoa, the quality has been higher there. Like, the level of play has been better. And I think even though there were some question marks over the All Blacks and potentially losing some of their more experienced campaigners after the World Cup, they look to be in great stead, really, across most positions. So I think they're going to be as tough as they've ever been this year. Yeah, and as I said, I think we'll get into a little bit more of what we think this All Blacks team will shape up as. Um, there are a few sort of key competition um, positions for them, and there still are a few areas where they might be a little bit thinner. Um, same as Australia, we've talked about this before, the lock stocks um, aren't quite what they once were. The final round on the weekend um, of Super Rugby Artiloa, and I mean we have we've talked a bit about the Blues Crusaders on Saturday. We have the Highlanders hosting the Hurricanes, and I can just imagine how badly this Highlanders team would love to finish this with a win, um, finish this tournament with a win against the Hurricanes. Um, the Hurricanes obviously would love to win and to give themselves a chance of coming second overall. Um, but the Highlanders, they've, they've been in sort of every game that they've um, played this competition, only managed to take the two wins against the Chiefs, but everything else has been a really close uh, really close shot. And like we said, them at home, they're, they're definitely no easy beats. Yeah, and that's a good game, I think. Um, as you say, these are two teams that, maybe struggled a little bit early on, but the Highlanders definitely have been in all their games um, and they showed a lot of fight. We've seen the Canes really pick up their 
they bundle in the last few weeks and, and look a bit of a threat. But, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing the Chiefs now, they can't play. They've played all their games. They haven't got a win. And, you know, who would have thought um, coming into this Super Rugby restart, we probably thought the Chiefs were going to contest the, the title with the Crusaders, but it wasn't to be. Um, and, yeah, again, it's... um. These guys from the Canes and the Highlanders, I think ultimately they're playing for all black spots. There's some key guys in there that are probably on the fringe of, of that AB squad and they can put their hand up. Um, maybe a bit of a recency bias there, hopefully, for the selectors and they'll hope to um, really put their case forward in this one. Who do you, who are you picking for this one, Tobes? We've got um, the likes of Shannon Frizzell, some of the um, big forwards for the Highlanders, some um, unknown commodities versus the likes of Geordie Barrett and his men at the Hurricanes? You know what? I think it'll be a really, really tight game. I'm kind of tempted to go the Highlanders here. I just think in front of their home crowd, um, yeah, I just think that they could probably kind of catch the Hurricanes off guard a little bit. Mm. Um, They play so well at home, and I think that just gives them a bit of an edge. I can definitely see. I can definitely see another one of these games that the Highlanders take it right down to the final buzzer, and it ends up getting decided by a long-range sort of penalty kick or even drop goals, as we've seen, or a final after the buzzer try. Um, ooh, I, I'm probably still going to pick the Hurricanes. I, I definitely see the 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 way for the Highlanders to win it, but yeah, I'm definitely not going to pick by more than a margin of two or three points here, I think. But the Hurricanes sort of, they're, they're on a roll at the moment. They've, they've got sort of the history last time. Last couple of games, um, they've won against the Highlanders, even at Forsyth Bar. Um, last year was the last game, but it was by only three points. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a tough thing, isn't it? I was thinking maybe the Chiefs could upset them this last weekend. But when it came to actually locking in that tip, I couldn't go away from the Hurricanes. And yeah. look, we were, we, were, we were found to be correct with the Canes actually, you know, putting in a very good performance against the Chiefs and the Chiefs remaining winless. So, you know, it's it's different when it's, it's all well and good just to, you know, throw tips around. But when you actually go to lock in that that pick on Superbrew, it's um, it's you know, much tougher. it's often easy to go with a conservative pick. So, yeah. Um, either way, I think you know probably. Given what's going on in Auckland and, um, you know, probably some of the rotation with the Crusaders, I think this will be the game of the weekend in New Zealand. I think so. And speaking of the Crusaders, you already mentioned that um, they're like, they were likely to name a um, slightly less than full-strength team. I, th- I think you'll probably see that if this game does go ahead and whether that's in you, in Auckland with no crowds or whether the game gets moved or it gets delayed a week, I don't think you'll probably see Moanga there. He's talked already about the physicality and the sort of effort that and force that the body takes every weekend playing these sort of tough um, games. So I dare say he may well get um, a rest or even maybe just started um, on the bench. Um, so with an underpowered Crusaders team, are you willing to put your money on the Blues here? I think I am. Yeah, definitely. If the Blues are full strength, I can I can see them definitely winning this. Um, and who knows? The Crusaders might have celebrated a little bit this week, locking down the title. You know, even if they're missing a few of their key guys, I think the Blues are good enough to um, 
to actually step up as a team that we've seen them play so well this this year as a team. I think, you know, regardless of where this is played, I think the Blues are in with a pretty good shot. And then we go to, by far, the more interesting side of the Tasman at the moment. And the Western Force have had a week off and they're coming against what they probably think um, is their most beatable sort of option in this competition. The Tars obviously having that great game, but they have to travel to Queensland to the new home of the Western Force, um, playing up there on the Gold Coast at Seabus Super Stadium Friday night. What do you think the Force are going to be wanting to do here? Tough spot for them, really. I mean... I think it's interesting it's been moved to the to the Gold Coast, um, you know, for the next couple of games for the Force, um, allowing them to kind of create a little bubble for themselves. And the Waratahs coming off such a good win, you know, is this going to be, you know, a typical Waratahs regression where they go back and the, the Force maybe beat them by a few points? I think it's probably not. I think the Waratahs probably will be able to continue the form on enough to beat um, this Force team. Um, but you can see, what was it, round uh, round two, when the Waratahs only just got a, a win over the, the force, only by nine points. So overall, I think these teams, not evenly matched necessarily, but I think the force know the Waratahs' weaknesses, and they're, they're very good at playing to that. Um, but if the Waratahs' pack can kind of roll on like they've been doing, um, at least against the, the Reds, I think, this back line can be pretty potent. I think Fichetti's out, so you'll probably see Joey Walton come back into perhaps outside centre. But I think overall the the team's going to be largely unchanged. Um, and if yeah, if these guys step up, I think the Waratahs have the class to do it, so I'd be taking them. Yeah, it's hard to go against them after that performance they just put together. And like you said, it'll be a mostly unchanged 15 for them, which seem to be gelling like they don't really have any new faces in that um, forward pack but they're they're putting together a bit of performances where they're showing a little bit of dominance which is really good to see um, from a a pack that I just I just don't expect it Um, I dare say there will be some regression I dare say it's going to be a close one Um, I think the force will definitely be wanting to take their opportunities they're going to um, come out firing, come out attacking, and they're going to see what they can do if they can knock a bit of uh, that confidence off the Waratahs that they built up last week. Um, but hard to go against the Waratahs um, after that performance. Coming up on Saturday, you have the Reds hosting the Rebels. They already sort of highlighted this. This is a game that was a draw um, in the second round of the competition up in Sydney. And then the Reds now get to come back to Suncorp. They'd be smarting a little bit, having copped that um, big defeat to the Waratahs and I'm sure they'll be looking um, to come out hungry and be out for blood against um, this Rebels team. And pretty cracking game here. Um, you know, you have, you'll catch the Reds angry and, and the Rebels probably are feeling pretty positive about the, where they stand um, in Australian rugby at the moment. So I'm looking for a huge bounce back game by the Reds. I think they'll be so fired up. They really let their guard down against the Waratahs and they got punched in the mouth. But I think the Rebels' pack, I think, is is still not quite, I think, to the level that the Reds are on their day. So I think the Reds need to win it up front. Mm. Um, I think they'll be determined to do that. Like It's it's pretty embarrassing to, to get beaten by 33 points to, to a New South Wales team. So I think back at home, 
look, they'll be like laser focused for this one. But I think it's it's bound to be close. I think the Rebels are good at controlling games. So the Reds might just disrupt you with a bit of all-out aggression and, and real just abrasiveness that they, they generally bring through those forwards. Um, want to see Tate back starting. I think that's important. Um, I think his combination with Jock is, is great. And then hopefully to unlock some of the dangerous backs. If we see Patea, that would be great. I mean, it might be too early for him to come back. But if he's there, I think it, it certainly gives the Reds a, a real edge around the fringes there in the back line. Um, look, I think I'm going to take the Reds probably by like three points. I don't think it will be by any means a blowout. I think it will be close. But I'd, I still favour this Reds team to bounce back against... I think the Rebels are a good team, but they're not a great team. And I think... The Reds have the potential to be a great team if they gel on their day. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. At at home as well as the Reds, are, they'll get the fans behind them. Um, they'll they'll feel a bit more at home back there at SunCorp, and I think they'll they'll come out really hard here. I think they did lack a little bit of energy early on, and they just got put on put on their heels a little bit by that um, early New South Wales attack. And I think the tar- uh, I think Brad Thorne will be absolutely on them this week to start strong, start hard, and really be physical up front um, and get on the front foot. I want to see their sort of set piece. We've seen this is a team that's had such a great set piece for so long, and they've sort of faltered over the last couple of weeks with some poor lineouts and a, and a scrum that's not been as dominant as it should be. And they they struggled with this last time they played the Rebels. Their scrum was actually. Um, struggling against that rebel scrum, and they've there's just really no excuse that that should be happening. They've got a more talented um, pack. They've got I think a slightly smaller pack when they have Izzy Nicerani in there um, for the rebels, but they still shouldn't be too underpowered in the weight department either. They should be able to dominate then, and I think that's where they need to focus. They need to really front up um, in the forwards and make sure they're getting some go forward to unlock sort of Tate and Jock's sort of potential to, as you say, unleash those danger men outside. Look, both teams, again, we're playing for ultimately... They're playing to get into the finals, obviously. We know that. <clears throat> the Reds are currently in, in fourth, so they would not, not be happy at all with that performance. And they'll, they'll need to kind of really come home strong to actually make it in that top three. Uh, and again, it all comes down to Wallaby's opportunities here. If you're kind of fronting up against a Rebels pack and you're you're losing that battle, as we tend to think the Reds to be quite a strong forward pack, if they can't dominate a Rebels forward pack, then that's going to raise some questions for Dave Rennie with certain players in that Reds pack. So I think they really do need to bounce back here. I think they'll do it. As I said, I think they're just they're going to be the stronger team on the day, and hopefully we don't get some crazy weather again for the Rebels to really, I guess. Um, just out strategize the Reds. I think if it's a dry track, the Reds should get it done. The other news this week was the new sort of TV deal that got signed, and it and it brought up a couple of new sort of concepts and new ideas that were going to come up. Um, the deal sort of came up as being a some sort of Super Rugby AU or sort of Trans Tasman Super Rugby in whatever form that comes into, as well as a sort of Super Rugby Top Eight. Um, taking the top two teams from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and then potentially Japan or a Pacific team um, into a sort of Champions League type tournament 
Um, and then the only other thing they pop up, um, I believe they called it the origin of union. Um, definitely not taking anything away from the state of origin, but um, a New South Wales, Queensland game where, where players sort of play for either where they were born or maybe their first club they made, they debuted in first grade. Um, Toby, what are you thinking of these sort of new concepts that sort of started throwing around here? Well, I think it's interesting. Australia's definitely not taking a back foot to New Zealand in, in the battle for, you know, which teams survive and which teams are included in this new competition from next year onwards. South Africa looks like they're gone from Super Rugby a little bit. We don't, we're not hearing a lot of chatter about including them for next year, which is surprising. I would have thought there would be a bit more pushback um, mm. to this idea, but it seems like it's gaining momentum and it's looking like it's going to be a, a primarily a trans-Tasman comp. I can't see how New Zealand can go it alone. Um, I don't think they'd have the revenue coming through to actually keep that competition afloat long-term. I know that we've seen a really high-quality um you know, style of rugby from, from Super Rugby Aotearoa, but, you know, for the long-term longevity of that that kind of product, I don't think they're going to have enough money if they're just including the five New Zealand teams and, you know, Pacific Island teams. Like, you need to include Australia. I think Australia and New Zealand are kind of meant to, to make this work, and I think there's just being a few games being played at the moment. Um, obviously, Rugby Australia wants at least four teams included in this new competition, um, and maybe even five. They might want five and five. Um, and then including maybe a team from Asia and a team from the Pacific, so you're looking at 10 to 12 teams. I think that's a good idea. I would. I don't want either of us or New Zealand to go it alone. I don't think that's sustainable. Um, but in terms of the other things on offer, the Super 8 looks interesting to me. I think... You know, being up here in the UK, you can see the Champions Cup, how important that is and how high, um, how, how a high level of rugby comes through with that. Um, you know, you, you really are leveraging the, some of the um, rivalries and stuff in the Six Nations and you're building it back into the club competition. Um, you know, you get to see the best of the best playing off. And I think that's, that's something that's probably been lucky a little bit in the Southern Hemisphere in terms of having... Um, you know, that really interesting competition between teams that don't actually play each other. And it was a little bit different before, obviously, because Super Rugby included all the best teams in the Southern Hemisphere, essentially. So we didn't need that. But it's a it's a kind of a trade-off. If we don't have Super Rugby as we know it now, then to actually be able to play the top South African teams at the end of a season or however you do it, I think, would be really interesting. Um, you know, you could take the... The Brumbies, the Crusaders, you know, the the Bulls or whoever, like you do actually see those traditional um, matchups being played. It just won't be as often. So I think it's a good idea. I think the Super 8 has a lot of merit to it. Um, it really rewards teams and, and puts another product out there for, for viewership. I think that's important as well. Whether State of Union or, or however you're going to name that product will work, I'm a little bit more sceptical on, and that's just because you might be including New South Wales and Queensland, you know, origin players, but what if there's, you know, such a such a 
you know, amount of players from ACT, you know, Victoria, WA, where does that leave them? Do they get aligned into either New South Wales or Queensland? And then you're kind of defeating the purpose of actually having that product in the, you know, overall. Do they get lumped into a third team? Um, don't know if it's actually something that we need. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it'd be interesting. It seems like it's just adding a sort of unnecessary tier for no reason. Yeah. I think. Well, if you're already, if you're already playing Reds Waratahs, I know that not every Reds player is from Queensland, you know, and it's the same with New South Wales. It's, there's a real movement of players around these days, but is it something we really need? Is it, are we just really trying to leverage the kind of product that the league has and try and copy that a little bit and, create something that's probably the demand isn't there for. I just think that could be an issue. You don't want to be putting all this money into it um, and then just not getting the payoff, really, not getting actually the supportership there when you're actually seeing Super Rugby during the year, seeing these matchups anyway. So I, I think we've discussed it a little bit off air, but we'd be more in, um, in favour of having like a, a Wallabies probables versus possibles or we like to phrase it a wallabies gold team versus green team um i think that would be a much better product idea which is more sort of what new zealand's aimed towards like i know they're doing sort of north versus south island but it seems to be a very much um possibles versus probables um type scenario and it just adds a little bit more sort of excitement around that wallaby selection when um when it is so close between two guys and then you get to see them actually going up against each other in a one yeah. or two game series um, before we, we find out who our, our Wallabies 23 is. And that's a, particularly in the period that we're in at the moment where a lot of the selections are up in the air, that's the perfect way of pitting a couple of locks to, against each other that we think, oh, we can't quite split them. You know, you got Matt Phillip versus Angus Blythe or whoever you want to be picking um, you get to see them play against each other one or two games in a row, surrounded by high-quality players, other, you know, potential Wallabies players. I think that would be really interesting. And whether it's played in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, you could even do it over in Perth in the new stadium there. I think you'd get big crowds for that. Mm. And I think it's a great way to lead into to something like the Rugby Championship um, in the weeks before. And, I mean, there, there's going to be concern over injuries, but, you know, these guys are going to be hitting it out at training anyway, so I don't see it being too much of a factor. I think this is a really good idea, you know, way of building that excitement around the rugby championship instead of having a dead period between the end of Super Rugby and, and then the international level. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's... Sounds just much more appealing just off the bat than um, the current sort of ideas. But I do like that they're taking some initiative. They're trying something new and they're trying to um, reach out and create some more sort of new excitement over these sort of new competitions um, for the Mm. future. And especially when you can do these things um, within the country, like we're not limited by what these travel restrictions and how long they're going to last um, for different areas and that's just a, a, a way to keep it going, keep um, Joe Rugby fan um, tuning in everywhere you can to, to catch these things. I think it's just as well, like, cause Rugby Australia seems like under the new leadership that they're being a lot more assertive. Um, they're not letting New Zealand define 
what this product's going to be going forward. And I, I'm all in favour of these two unions working together and, and working, um, you know, in conjunction with each other, actually reach a, an optimum product. But if New Zealand want to come out and say, oh, look, you know, here's our invitation, you can bring two or three teams across, um, I don't think that's a good way of... They kind of started off on the wrong foot with that, I think, actually trying to just say, well, we only really want, at the, at the most, three of your teams um, and we're going to invite a whole other different kind of set of nations to be included and, and we're going to be running the show here and we're like, well, no, we'll actually go it alone if we need to and you actually need us more than we need you, which I'm not sure is true either. I think we we definitely need the talent and the the flair that New Zealand brings, I think, in a product like Super Rugby or whatever it's going to be called. Um, but, yeah, I, I do like the way that Rugby Australia is being a little bit more hard-nosed in the way they're approaching things and mm. and look like they're actually, you know, saying this is a good product. Like, you need to give us the credit that we deserve. We're not just going to grovel to you, um, which I think has been, we've been guilty of that in the past, just taking what we can get instead of defining defining our own path in all this. So I think that's that's definitely been an improvement in my eyes. Well, we might leave it there, a little bit of a shorter one um, this week, but we will have many more things to talk about next week. Another couple of great games coming out of Australia and some interesting ones coming out of New Zealand um, to end their super rugby season. Um, make sure you are tuning in to all our channels on social media, whether that's on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Um, really liking to see that uh, the downloads are continuing to come in. People are still getting very excited about their rugby, um, and that's why we keep doing this. So make sure you are clicking that subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, make sure you put down that five star review. Um, and get in contact with us if you think we're uh, missing something out or you just want to shout and, and show your love for the boys. Um, we'll be watching this weekend. We hope you are too. Until next week, keep on running. Run.